0: on the last episode of Solvable. Investigators following a promising lead about Baby Jane's family tree took a trip from Mississippi to Missouri. But what they encountered wasn't quite what they expected. Right off the bat, the first thing she said was, I hope y'all found my sister Gwen. She's been missing since 1982. And at that moment, we knew we were going to identify Baby Jane. Officers spoke with a woman named Teresa. A woman who they believed, genetic genealogy research, indicated was baby Jane's mother. But Teresa was not the baby girl's mother. She was her aunt. By the time investigators walked out of Teresa's house, they learned that baby Jane's name was Alicia Ann Heinrich, and her mother was Gwendolyn May Clemens. Teresa was Gwen's sister. Teresa had an amazing memory, like dates and times, and just recalled it, I- from 1982, she was just spouting off the dates. She knew when Alicia was born. She knew her birth date, Gwen's
2: birth date, the time that Gwen had disappeared.
0: She was really good with providing details that helped us out later on. Genealogy research on baby Jane's DNA had narrowed down a family group. But before meeting Teresa, investigators were working off of the assumption that Teresa was the missing mother they'd been looking for for all of these decades. When authorities spoke with Teresa in August of 2020, she explained that she hadn't seen her sister Gwen or Gwen's daughter, Alicia, in 38 years. Detectives took DNA samples from Teresa to make sure what she'd told police was true. And from there, the case made massive strides.
1: I think it's worth taking a minute here to explain the science behind how all of this came to play out, just so it's clear for everyone listening. One of the limitations of genetic genealogy in researching using public or law enforcement databases is if there's no trace of the individual, in other words, no record saying this person is the daughter of this couple, then no one knows for sure. As a genealogist, you can spend weeks, even months or years scouring over the same family group, looking at every record type publicly available. A common hurdle is what's referred to as misattributed parentage. This term covers things like, for example, if a child is born as a result of an affair and that affair is never acknowledged. The father on the birth certificate is often listed as the man whom the mother was married to, not to whom she could have conceived the child with. That's one of the reasons why genetic genealogy can only be used as a tip or a lead. You never know what is missing, it could be a child that left the family either disowned or purposely disconnecting or place for adoption or simply relationships not well documented, or the family resides in an area with poor public records availability. For example, while researching this case, I found that the state of Missouri has limitations to their public records for the years that Gwen was alive, but the state of Texas, for example, has many more records accessible for that time frame. Access varies widely, state by state, and year to year.
0: In 2021, law enforcement databases house information that connects identities to license plates, automated fingerprint systems, DNA, and even facial recognition. But in 1982, these connections were much more difficult to come by, especially when crimes cross state lines. I mean, just think about it. Genetic genealogy did not exist in the 1980s. Fingerprints were manually compared and computerized criminal databases were essentially non-existent. If someone disappeared or changed their identification information back then, the lack of data sharing between law enforcement agencies made it very difficult to find a person.
1: In our research for this podcast, we looked tirelessly for public records, hoping something could tell us more about Gwen and Alicia's lives but we often came up empty-handed. Missouri isn't a complete public records desert, but it is extremely limited. One thing I did find was Gwen's 1978 Web City High School yearbook. Her picture in that publication shows her smiling, with strawberry blonde shoulder-length hair parted down the middle and feathered at the sides in swooping waves. She has hazel eyes and a fair complexion. The picture is on our website at www.solvablepodcast.com. Gwen has perfectly straight teeth, which really makes her smile stand out. Unfortunately, nothing else in the yearbook revealed anything useful that helped me determine who she was or where her journey had taken her and baby Alicia. Next, I scoured obituaries in Missouri because they're usually a wealth of family information for a genealogist like me. But the only obituary I found with Gwen's name in it was one for her father, who recently passed away.
0: Just like us... What felt like a dead-end search for information about Gwen in Missouri, after their first visit to Joplin in 2020, investigators from Jackson County were launched into a mystery twice as big as the one they'd started off with. The identity of Baby Jane was glaringly clear. Her real name was Alicia Ann Heinrich. But police still had no idea how she'd been killed or why she'd been placed in the Escataba River in December of 1982. The whereabouts of her mother, Gwen Mae Clemens, was a complete question mark, but technically, Gwen was still a missing person. Authorities needed to figure out what happened to her, but first, they needed to officially make Teresa, Gwen's sister, and the rest of Gwen's family in Missouri, aware of their findings. We interviewed a current investigator on the case named Eddie Clark, who was one of the people who traveled back to Missouri during a second visit to Joplin to provide the formal ID of baby Alicia and Gwen to Teresa. Remember, the first time the Mississippi investigators spoke with Teresa and asked for her DNA, they didn't reveal all of their cards. They didn't specifically tell her what the age or gender was of the body that had led them to Missouri. All Teresa knew during that first visit was that police were investigating a body in Mississippi from 1982 and they needed her DNA for comparison. Teresa assumed on her own that the police were there about her missing sister, Gwen. As a law enforcement investigator, there are so many different kinds of interviews you have to conduct. Sometimes you may be interviewing a suspect, a witness, or a victim, and you only get one crack at it. Sometimes you have to make an initial visit to a family to first gather information And then second, maybe make another trip to provide life-altering, horrible news. You may initially think you're going to interview a murder suspect, for instance, the mother of baby Jane, only to find out moments later that Gwen is missing and you are actually interviewing her sister. As an investigative team, you have to discuss these possibilities and play them through while preparing for an interview like this. Oftentimes, you can leave the first interview wondering if the information that's been provided to you is true. Sometimes you leave the second interview feeling drained that you just made a largely negative impact on an entire family. Here's Sergeant Eddie Clark.
2: The second trip was was, was we had just to notify the family. We didn't know what to expect. You know, we were kind of going up there with extremely bad news. wasn't 100% confirmed, but... We honestly believed that Teresa was the hand, and we knew that the grandmother was gonna be there. We thought grandfather was gonna be there, and he had talked with his daughter before she left, and we were really, really wanting to talk to him because he had a lot of information. Well, we found out on the way up that he passed.
1: When Mississippi investigators first interviewed Teresa, she explained in detail the time frame of Thanksgiving 1982, when Gwen and Alicia first disappeared. She shared a lot of memories of what the months and years had been like before her sister and niece vanished. Teresa said that she thought about dozens of different theories as to what happened to them. She dreaded the notion that they were dead or had suffered some horrible fate. She always held up hope that even if something terrible had happened to Gwen, maybe it was possible that Alicia was spared somehow. Maybe she'd grown up to be a beautiful young woman and was out there living her life somewhere. However, we didn't have to rely on what Teresa told police to get the full story. We were able to learn about Gwen and Alicia directly from Teresa.
0: In the fall of 2020, shortly after the death of her father and several weeks after investigators from Mississippi interviewed her a second time, we reached out to Teresa. During the first few minutes of our phone call, I explained that we wanted to help bring attention to Gwen and Alicia's case, and hopefully that would generate new leads for law enforcement. She graciously gave us part of her Sunday afternoon to provide us with some background information about Gwen's life in the 1980s. But she was kind of, you know, the wild
3: child. And, you know, and didn't have a, a good way of picking in and always, you know, the rough crowd.
0: According to Teresa, Hanging with a, quote, rough crowd, started when Gwen was in high school. Not long after graduating, she met a man named Richard Clyde Heinrich. Richard often went by the name Rick. So she was first married to Rick, is it Heinrich, I think? Yes. And he's not, I don't think he's alive anymore, is he? No, FBI said he was dead and
3: passed.
0: They lived in Joplin, and he is... Alicia's dad, I'm guessing. Is that right? Yes. And he's on the birth
1: certificate. Teresa was able to put us in touch with Rick's sister, a woman named Alicia. For the sake of not getting baby Alicia and Rick's sister Alicia confused, we're going to call Rick's sister Aunt Alicia. The first thing we learned while interviewing Aunt Alicia was that she and Gwen got along really well and had a good relationship. So much so that Gwen didn't bat an eye when she found out that she and Rick were going to have a baby girl together,
3: she named her after me. I'm kind of her namesake, but her uh, first names are spelled different. But she wanted to spell hers alisHA She got her, she got her daddy's eyes. She was a sweet baby. She had a smile that melts your heart. And like I say, Gwen was a good mama to her. She just you know, that baby was her whole life.
1: And Alicia remembered a lot about Gwen even after so many years of not seeing her.
3: Her hair is about shoulder length and she just wore it down. She wasn't ever fancy or nothing, just down and she just a casual dresser. She was a blue jean person, blue jean and tops. She, she was a small frame person. She wasn't one to wear makeup. And like I say, she, she didn't drink, she didn't smoke, to my knowledge, either one. And she was very quiet, you know, she was kind of, Back and
1: things. That was a pretty different description than what Teresa had told us about Gwen. But after talking with Aunt Alicia, it became clear that once Gwen found out she was pregnant, she took her life and motherhood very seriously. Baby Alicia became the center of Gwen's world, and Gwen put away the things and behaviors that Teresa says made her a, quote, wild child who hung out with a rough crowd, end quote.
3: caring mom, and I know the baby was her whole life. I mean, she loved that baby with all her heart. She would never, never let nothing happen to that baby. Any harm come to it if she could help it, because the baby was her life.
1: A happy family life wasn't a reality for Gwen, Alicia, and Rick, though. Their marriage was short-lived, and they divorced not long after Gwen gave birth to baby Alicia.
3: She was young. She was like 10 years
1: younger than my brother. Did she and Rick always live in Missouri together?
3: Yes. They always lived up there by Joplin. You know, her and my brother wasn't married very long, but uh, we weren't close, but we, we communicate with each other. My brother's an alcoholic, so, you know, they, they had a lot of stormy times together, and he just... Uh, he was a hard worker, and, and he cared about the baby, but him and Gwen just didn't get along because alcohol was more important than his marriage, unfortunately. Like i say they had some good times, but they just the alcohol just got in the way with their marriage, and they split up.
1: Teresa, Gwen's sister, told us that Rick struggled to keep a job, and after the divorce, Gwen was often going to court for child support.
3: He didn't work and she was trying to get child support and so he had, had moved to kansas city with his dad i heard and was hiding out there um, because she threatened to put him in jail for not paying child support
0: what we learned from talking with Teresa and aunt alicia is that things definitely became a bit chaotic in gwen's life after she divorced rick based on interviews both on and off the record with family members, here's what we know. At some point after divorcing Rick, Gwen moved to Michigan. It's not clear where in Michigan she lived, or if she moved there with someone else. Teresa seemed to indicate that Gwen may have moved there with a boyfriend, but that's unconfirmed. Gwen definitely stayed in touch with Teresa, though, by writing letters. Based on the contents of those old letters and Teresa's memory, Gwen only stayed in Michigan for four or five months after moving there. The timeline gets a little hazy at that point, but sometime before moving to Michigan, Teresa believes Gwen married a second time. The second husband was one of her high school classmates from Webb City, a man we will refer to as James. We've decided to use the pseudonym James to identify Gwen's second husband because he's still alive and investigators have never publicly revealed his name. So for the purposes of this podcast, we're just calling him James. And man, does James have a story to tell.
2: She was outgoing uh, with me, and and we just had a good time together. And, uh, you know, we dated for two or three months before we got married. We always seemed to have a good time together. We knew each other in school. You know, we had several classes together in school, and we always sat next to each other and talked to each other, you know, so... She was very friendly, very outgoing. She wasn't any type of a depressed person or anything like
0: that. James, Gwen's second husband, spoke with us last fall. He shared some memories about his former wife and how they fell in love fast. But to our surprise, we learned their union was brief.
2: We were married, and I was working an overnight job. I was a disc jockey in a radio station. Well, I found out that. A Webb City policeman was making routine visits to my house and partaking in extracurricular activities with my wife. Well, I basically caught him in the act. And the way I found this out was, I started seeing cigarette butts in the ashtray next to the bed that weren't mine and she didn't smoke.
0: James said it didn't take long after discovering that Gwen was having an affair for him and her to split up for good. It wasn't until decades later that James would get an unexpected visit from police officers. They were looking for Gwen.
2: Here's what happened, I was in the shower and I heard this bam, 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 bam. You know how cops knock on the door. And I'm naked in the shower, taking a shower. I couldn't do anything, you know. My roommate, was asleep at the time. She wakes up, answers the door, and it's four cops standing there. And they asked for me. And she goes, well, he's here. but Let me go see if I can get him. So she come back to my room and she says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm in the shower. He she said, well, you need to get out because there's four cops standing out on the front porch waiting to talk to you. It didn't shock me, but I, I mean, I was certainly curious as to what the hell they wanted. And the local deputy said, we're here about your ex-wife. And I go, okay, which one? <laughs> and they said, Gwen. And I said, oh my God, what what's going on? And they go, well, she's missing and nobody has seen her, her or the baby. And, you know, the family, none of them have seen her. I said, well, I'll tell you what I know.
0: According to James, the police officers at his door were trying to kickstart a missing person investigation for Gwen but they had no clues to pinpoint her last known location.
2: From what that cop told me, or all four of them actually, they told me there was no driver's license records of her, no marriage licenses, no taxes, no job information. She hadn't filed federal taxes. And that's why they're all involved trying to find her her and her daughter because they literally just disappeared off the face of the earth.
0: The only thing James could offer the detectives was the fact that in 1982, he knew Gwen had left him for another man, a man who'd been a police officer in Webb City, a man who James believed had to have been the last person to be with Gwen and baby Alicia. Turns out, James was right. Yeah, her boyfriend was in the
3: car with the baby, and she came in. She's excited the last time i seen her because she says that they were going to move and it's going to make a new life for themselves. She said she thought it'd be best for her.
1: That's on the next episode of Solvable.